0: So we left the theater company literally with no money. We're living in the most expensive place in the United States, San Francisco. And three months after we moved there, we lived with my brother and sister-in-law for a while. God provided us an apartment. God has answered so many prayers. On any given moment, on any given day, I am prone to wonder. And my wondering is being anxious about things and how I know I'm anxious about things is my shoulders just get heavy. The question always comes back. Okay, so how do you get peace? How do you get peace? Well, yesterday, case in point, at lunchtime, I just got up from my desk, and um, I just went on a prayer walk, and it completely changed my perspective. It really blows me away that we have access to Christ like that and that we have access to that much power because of what He did. We are engaged in a war against powers of evil and darkness that we can't see with our own eyes. The only way to win is to go into battle, and that happens when we're praying, by engaging with Jesus in prayer. I'm all in.
1: Well, good morning, Austin Oaks Church. So good to see you this morning. I'm going to take this off because it's glaring right in my eyes. Plus, quite frankly, I don't know if I need them. Um, Name is Branzisky, the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. My wife would say otherwise I do need them, but I don't need them right here. Uh, We're a church that's simply all about Jesus, and I want to say, hey, good morning to our friends over in the Classic Service. We love you. Our heartbeat is to do all that we can to help you help other people to meet, know, and follow Jesus, and I want to remind you, and I know that you know this, that you have a purpose in life, and this purpose and calling that God has for you is infinitely larger than the one that you think you have for yourselves, and it's wrapped up in our mission to help people to meet, know, and follow Jesus We're in this series called All In as we're looking at the heart and the calling of the mission that God has given us. And so this morning, I'm going to lean in a little bit more into what it is that God is asking us as a church and consequently what he's asking you to be a part in this next season. We believe that God is moving, not just at Austin Oaks Church, but we believe that God is moving in the city of Austin, Texas. I love connecting with other pastors in the city and just hearing what God is doing but for us specifically as a church, I want us to look into the heart of what it is that God is asking us to be, what he's asking us to do, what we need to do in order to be all in. So today, we're coming together again to come back to the heart of it all. We're gonna come back into discovering our source, our calling and our mission. We're gonna be reminded clearly that Jesus, he's the one that formed the church for his mission. He didn't form the church so that way we can kind of create our own idea as to what church could be and should be. We're a church that should be a movement, not a monument unto ourselves. And so what we're going to do this morning in the next few weeks is we're going to be asking God to unite us together on that mission. And that's why last week we started out by having this, this message of being chained to the chariot. What does it look like to be all in? Because the reality is we give our lives to something. We're connected to something. And we're going to be looking at this morning how to be captivated by Jesus, how to fulfill what God is calling us to be, what God is asking us to do. And here's the thing. There's nothing in our own efforts, there's nothing by our resources, nothing in our competencies that can achieve it. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by His Spirit, says the Lord. So here's what we're believing God for, and here's what we believe God has asked us to be about, and what he's asking us to be praying for. And so I'm going to share this with you. You're going to hear this multiple times and at multiple angles, and at some point, as you walk out of the service, we have these little books here for you that talk through our values, but to start to unpack what the vision is and what we're believing and asking the Lord to do by 2025. Here's the statement that has been grabbing our hearts and as an elder board and as a staff that we're praying for, that is dictating and, and informing our decisions. We want to be the movement that sees Austin, Texas, saturated with the gospel by developing disciples so that the emerging generations will be captivated by Jesus This is what is grabbing our hearts. This is what we believe the Lord is asking us to do. And so I want to unpack this a little bit. Why are we saying the word movement? Because from the very beginning of the church, the church was designed to be a movement. In fact, they weren't even called Christians. In the the early part of Acts, when Jesus was moving and the gospel was spreading, they were called followers of the way. Right, Christians was actually an insult. It was, it was a derogatory nickname that the outsiders put on the church. But the movement of Jesus Christ was called the way. The church is not to be static. It's not to be a stuck thing. It's not to build monuments and all these things to build up accolades for ourselves. The church is always to be a movement. Because the Holy Spirit, one of the names for the Holy Spirit is the wind of God. And the wind, it's uncontrollable. It's wild. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. All we have to do as believers is learn how to harness that wind. We need to be a movement that, that gets people wrapped up in what God is doing. And how we're gonna do that is by saturating the city of Austin with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that word saturate. It has even more meaning for me now that I live here in the south. Didn't necessarily have that feeling as a Minnesota boy, but down here, like when it rains really hard, like you can look out and also there's like there's a lake. You're like, "Man, that's awesome. It's saturated." And when you start to walk, it's like even though it's like grass, you can just you can just hear the water squishing. We want to be that type of people that are constantly dripping out the message of Jesus to all the people around us. Not only by how we live, but also by what we say because you can't be a movement if you don't have a message. Look at any movement in any form of any ideology. It's a message that creates the movement. And we have the message of Jesus Christ, the greatest message of all time. The hope of the world found in Jesus Christ. People are dead in their sins, lost forever, separated eternally from Christ nothing in us that we can ever do to solve that there's nothing that we can do to fix it we can never be good enough and everything we'll do will always fall short of that but praise be to god he who knew no sin became sin for us died on the cross for us conquered death in the grave for us ascended to the father for us gave his spirit for us that's the message and as we discovered last week, like we are entrusted with that and thanks be to God who leads us in his triumphal victory, worthy the aroma of Christ. And to some people, that smell that we, uh, like we uh, radiate off of us is one that could be of death and it could be of life. But that's our calling, to saturate the city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the statistics that broke my heart, and I know I shared this pre-pandemic, was that in the year of 2020, in 2019, 2020, all the churches, like there was 55,000 churches in America that closed down. This is pre-pandemic. We don't even know what those numbers look like now because of COVID. Church growth was very low. And when they started to look at the churches that did experience growth, they discovered that only 1% of all the people that would be considered for those churches to be growing, came from new professions of faith. That means that all the other church growth that happened in America was church transfer. One people going from this church, I don't like this church, I'm going to go to that church. Nah, that church ain't meeting my needs. I'm going to go to this church. Oh, this church looks like it's got it going on, so I'm going to go to that church. And that's what represented the majority of church growth in 2020, which is a really sad thing. Now, I understand that we can't control people giving their lives to Jesus, but what we can do as believers is to take on that responsibility to share the gospel, to be his witness in, our li- in the lives of those around us. And that's why we need to do that. Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 looked at the harvest, looked at the, the culture around him, said, it's ripe Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his field. That's us. So we seek to be the movement that saturates the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we want to do that by developing disciples. And this is a key word. We want to develop disciples because, quite frankly, that is the mission that Jesus entrusted the church. And quite frankly, that is the mission that the Holy Spirit will always empower, go into all the world by making disciples, baptizing them, telling them about Jesus Christ, helping them understand that he gave their life for them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all. That's the process of meet, know, and follow. And we need to be people who are willing to invest our lives into other people. And this is not just the paid staff. This is not our job. I know a lot of people in church go, well that's why we pay you, Brandon, to disciple the church. And I go, no, actually what you don't realize is that you pay me to equip you to do that. I'm gonna find another church, I'm just kidding. But it's just like, this is the idea, it's like we all who follow Jesus, this is our call. This is our honor, this is our joy. And if you have children in your home, that is your top priority, discipling your children. So important. But how do we do that in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools? How are we salt? How are we light in those areas? How are we investing our lives into people? And now asking this question as a church, how are we developing people in our church to learn how to be disciples? And that's why this is a significant part of the next four years of all that we do. That means the programs and the things that we do as a church are gonna be very specifically tailored to equipping you as the church to learn how to help other people to meet, know, and follow. Jesus. Because the process of discipleship isn't just for believers, it's for those who don't know Jesus, the evangelism aspect, and walking all the way to maturity in Jesus. So we want to be a movement that saturates the city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to do this by developing disciples so that the emerging generations become captivated with Jesus. This is the specific aspect of this calling that we feel burdened for. We look at what's happening in culture, and we look at what's happening in America, and America is in this massive transition, generationally speaking. Boomers are moving into retirement phase. Millennials and Gen Xers are coming into positions of leadership and influence. Gen Z's coming into the college ranks. And these are all of our next influencers. These are our families. These are going to be people in power. These are the things that are going to be shaping and dictating culture for the next few years. This is an important aspect. And so as we're seeing this culturally, I think it's important for us to understand that there is an important transition, not just happening culturally, but should be happening within the church. Just some quick statistics as we think about this. Barna does this study every year just to know the spiritual temperature of generations. 77% of all millennials categorize themselves as agnostic. In that category, some of them would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in other gods because isn't it arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way? Millennials and younger love the word tolerance. They love the word opening it up. And so truth becomes squishy. Truth becomes gray. Truth becomes whatever we want it to make it to be because we don't want to offend people. And so 77% of that generation say, yeah, we're agnostic. Like, I'm not willing to say that there is no God because how could there be, like, we understand some things in our hearts, we see these things happen in our world, but there's no way we can just simply say, Jesus is the only way. Two thirds of the millennial generation walked away from the church. In other words, some of their boomer parents had them raised in the church, maybe went to Sunday school, but when they got older, they said, what's the point? 4% of Gen Z have a biblical worldview. That means now that the younger generation coming up, if you were to say, turn to the book of Matthew, they would go, where's that book? And we think that's kind of funny because we're like, well, it's in the Bible, but they would literally go, okay, I got the Bible, but where's the, the other book of Matthew? That just means they don't even understand a lot of the terms and languages or phrases that we use in church. It's a totally different shift that's happening in our culture. So we as a church go, this is a crucial moment in the life of Austin Oaks Church. Because as we see this transition happening nationally, it's happening even quicker in the city of Austin. So last year, in 2020, they predicted that there would be this population increase in millennials, but it increased even more. So they're saying now by the year of 2025... That 60% of all of Austin will be 40 years old and younger. 60% of the city. Okay, so we kind of did a rough estimate as to our generational makeup in our church, and we roughly estimated, because it's kind of hard to do numbers in a COVID season, you're just like, I don't know where people are at, right? We, we assumed based upon numbers pre-COVID and even the present, that we're about 30% millennial and younger. So, if we want to be relevant—or not relevant—is a horrible word—but if we want to be kind of stepping in the same step with the culture and trying to find a way to have an influential platform with the younger generations, we got to figure out how to be a movement that saturates the city with the gospel and how to be a church that's all about discipling other people. Why is this important? I love Hebrews chapter twelve. He says. Therefore, since we have this cloud of witnesses looking at all the people who've been faithful in years past, let us run the race marked before us with perseverance. Next week, I'm going to talk about this specifically, but I love this idea of discipleship in relay races. It doesn't matter how fast one person runs in a relay race. It doesn't matter how great of a sprinter you are in that relay, relay race, if you can't make the exchange in the exchange zone, you lose. Church, listen, we are in that exchange zone right now, generationally speaking. What race are we running? How are we handing that off? And that's why we're saying we need to be mindful of how we are discipling the younger generations because hear me, church, we need every generation to disciple every generation. And we want the younger generations not to be just good church people. We want them to be absolutely captivated by Jesus because he alone changes everything, period. That's our heartbeat. And that's our focus. When we say, where are we going in the next few years? What's our vision? It's this. 2025, we're praying that we would be a movement, that Austin Oaks Church would be the movement of God amongst other churches that would see Austin, Texas saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ in multiple ways, in multiple forms. And we want to equip the church to be disciples so that the emerging generations are captivated by Jesus. Now, I hope you're asking the question, how? How do we do that? Some of our metrics that we're praying for, and we believe God put it in our heart, is to pray for 500 people to be baptized, 500 people to profess Christ for the first time, and that can feel overwhelming. We're praying that we see this church demographic shift by 20%. That's overwhelming. We wanna see 80% of our church involved in a small group. That can be overwhelming. We wanna plant five churches in Rwanda. That can be overwhelming. We want to see this church grow because if it grows, we know that God is moving in the hearts of his people. How do we do this? And it's so tempting for us to immediately go, what must I do? Or we start thinking, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I don't have a role to play. I don't understand how this all works. This is the perfect question that the church should be asking all the time. How do we operate by the Spirit of God as a church. And you can ask the same questions in your own personal life spiritually. How do I walk by the Spirit of God personally? Because the verse that I want us to memorize and to wrestle with this morning is Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you, crack that thing open. Go to Zechariah chapter 4. If you've got a phone, you can flip it on there too. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. How are we going to be that church? How are we going to be able to do this, especially in light of all of the things that are happening around us culturally, nationally? The shift of ideologies, the shift of how people are seeing truth, I mean, just like look at it, like from a pastor's perspective, it's like there's moments where you felt like the wind got taken out taken out of our taken out of our sails. Especially come pre-pandemic, our church was growing. There was momentum. There was traction. There was things that God was doing. We were seeing people come to know the Lord. A lot of good stuff. And we were in the vision series. We were doing this stuff, and we were starting to talking about, okay, God, what are you doing next? And we were thinking about potentially launching a new campus somewhere else, and we'll share that another time. And like all sorts of good things were happening. Also, it was like COVID, boom, done. And you're just like, what
0: do we do now?
1: We don't, even, we don't even know who's with us. Like you start thinking about all the things that have happened. So much has happened. So much has shifted in our culture, in our nation in the last year. How are we to mobilize our church when only maybe like 55 to 60% of our church has come back in person and we don't know how many people are online. And we also know that this has been a time where a lot of people in church world took COVID as the unique opportunity to no longer be part of church. How do we mobilize disciples? How do we train disciples? How do we do all this? But not only that. Like, how do we proclaim the truth and love of Jesus Christ in a culture that is becoming ever more so increasingly hostile to the message of Jesus? And it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. The ideology that's happening and floating around in America is all about dismantling God and all about us playing God and propping ourselves up as God. If the emerging generations are agnostic and openly opposed to Christianity, like how is this possible? How? Not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit. So let's look at Zechariah chapter four. Because in this passage, we're gonna understand something, and it's so beautiful, it's so breathtaking. It's so liberating, and yet it is so challenging at the same time. In Zechariah chapter 4, I want to paint a picture for us so we can understand the the weight of this vision that Zechariah had. So in this, this passage we got to understand that Zechariah was a prophet back in a time when God was bringing people back out of exile, back into Jerusalem. And the wall around Jerusalem was completely destroyed. The temple was completely destroyed. And this is a big deal to the people of Israel because the temple of God was like God's like, promise of blessing. like I will be here. This is where my presence will dwell. If my people will call upon my name, will humble themselves and pray towards this place. I will hear. It was where the sacrifices were done. It was the source the power the light of all nations was there in the temple and it was destroyed because the nation of israel chose to be sinful and rebellious upon god and so in the old testament we got four letters that kind of wrap up this time frame we got haggai nehemiah ezra and Zechariah, and they're all about this time of coming back from exile and rebuilding the city And Haggai and Zechariah, however, they show up 16 years after the project has started with Nehemiah and Ezra. They built the wall. They're excited. Things are going well. Super pumped about it. And then they start to build the temple. And next thing you know, they face some opposition out there. People were taunting them like, who do you think you are? You can't do this. We'll tell the king that you're doing this. And they're trying to rally up all the enemies against Israel. And they got complacent they took that threat and they just took a pause and the next thing you know 16 years went by as they stopped that whole progress but they didn't stop worshiping they were still going to church as it were them worshiping in a rubble of, of a temple and hey would even say hey for these past 16 years, you neglected the mission of God and you were focusing on yourselves. In other words, like what God was saying in Haggai was actually really strong. It's like you focused on building your luxurious homes while my house stays, lays here in ruins. It's like, what, what happened? Zerubbabel was the governor and Joshua was the high priest. Well, they came back rather excited to start the project, but when opposition came and things happened, obstacles happened, they got discouraged, and then the whole people and the leaders took a step back, became displa- uh, complacent, discouraged, and ultimately hopeless that they let it sit for 16 years. And they said, well, now's not the time to do it. We're gonna wait for God. We're gonna wait for him to do it. And they busied themselves with themselves. All the while still doing their religious duties. 16 years, Zechariah gets this vision from an angel. Verse 1 The angel who talked with me again and woke me like a man who's awakened out of sleep, and he said to me, What do you see? Well, I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. That's where, like, usually when I read the, the story like this, my ADD goes, that's a lot of numbers. I don't know what they're talking about. And I just kind of check out. Don't do that. Don't, don't do what I do. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right and one on the left. And I said to the angel who talked to me, what are these? My Lord, the angel who talked with me answered, I think there's a little humor here. I like this. Said to me, you don't know what this is? Um, no, we got a light, seven things, there's a bowl, and then there's seven other things on each thing, so there's 49 wigs and a bowl and two olive trees. No, I don't know what that is. He goes, okay, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. He doesn't explain it, he just tells him what it means. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is beautiful imagery. God gives Zechariah a vision of something that looks like a menorah. It's one of those... Those stands, and we've seen this, especially in, you know around uh, Hanukkah times, like with the seven candles. But this is like a more built-out version of it. So we have this menorah of the lampstand in a bowl on top, and then there's seven other things on each of the seven lights. So there's 49 wicks. So it's this massive, massive menorah with this bowl and two olive trees that is like showing this picture of this constant flow of oil. It's a beautiful picture. And this is the idea that we're, what he's seeing is that the oil never runs out and that I don't have to provide the oil because it's coming from top down. Now, this would make sense to a priest or it would make sense to those in Israel because they would have this uh, menorah-type li- lampstand in the Holy of Holies. And the high priest, every, t- every day, one of his duties was to go in there and trim the wicks and pour the oil in so that way the light would never go out. But here, it's like saying, it's like, you no longer have to do it yourself. It's like God is shifting the game of how he's going to work in his world. This light of the menorah is a symbol of the promised Messiah, but it's a symbol of the light of the world where Israel, and consequently the church, is to be the blessing of God for all nations. It's extremely a powerful image. And for us, we can kind of go, okay, where does this connect a little bit in the New Testament? If you were to jump into Revelations chapter 1, or Revelation chapter 1, constantly you see this. You got the, the seven stars, the seven angels, and the seven um, lampstands that represent seven unique churches. And those churches were unique churches with specific influence, But when we start thinking about all of the churches that profess Christ as Lord and all the churches that seek to be obedient to his mission, the lampstand represents the important task, the mission that God gives to all of his people to be a light to those who walk in darkness. And so we're seeing this image of God's design for his people, for Israel and for the church, that we are to be a light in darkness. And we don't have to supply the oil to be that light anymore. It's going to be from his spirit through us. And we see that and we understand that through Jesus Christ. And that's where verse 6 shows up. And this is why this is important. Not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Think of the context. Zerubbabel was the governor. Joshua was the leader. You gotta imagine that they felt like failures when all of a sudden God sent prophets and started to get at them. Hey, 16 years, what's going on? You can imagine the frustration. They could easily have looked like, we don't have the same amount of people that we had in the past to build a temple. We're not loaded with money. We don't have the resources. What do you expect us to do? We're we're a, a broken people. We're scattered still, and we're coming back. People still mock us, like, how are we supposed to do this? Of course we can't do this. And God, through this prophet, is is essentially saying, you're right, Zerubbabel. You can't, oh, man, I'm going to keep tripping, Zerubbabel. Like, you can't do this on your own. You can't do this. Don't even think that you can. Friends, we have to understand this. Because not only for us as a church, when we've been given this mission to see the emerging generation become captivated with Jesus, to be a movement, to share Christ, and to make disciples, like, we can look at that and be like, I got to do this. I got to do the training. I got to, what are our resources? What do we got as a church? And we start looking at all of the external things, and we start to logically equate. If we have this plus this, then we can do it. And a lot of times we feel a lack of. But what about even in your own personal life, when you look at your own personal issues, your finances, maybe your marriage, or trying to stay pure and holy in singleness? What if you're dealing with sin issues and addiction, you're like, man, I just can't seem to deal with this. I can't seem to fix this. I can't seem to change this. Even out of the series that we were just in, I'm not okay. I can't seem to stop thinking and behaving a certain way. You're right, you can't because it's not gonna be by might, it's not gonna be by power, but it's always gonna be by his spirit. This is the most beautiful and liberating thing that we can hear. There's nothing that you can do to even get saved. There's nothing that you can do to transform you into the likeness of Jesus. We cooperate. That's why we started last week by saying we're all in. We surrender. We give in. We say, yes, Lord, I'm giving you my predetermined yes. That's how this is going to happen. Friends, listen. Human effort without the supply of God's spirit will always burn out. Always. And that's why there are so many people that leave the church. There's so many people that leave the church disillusioned because they go, it's not what I thought. But they were still treating Christianity through the lens of religion. I got to do this. I got to be good. I got to change. Yes, we cooperate. That's where our surrender comes in. But it's ultimately Him. We live by the Spirit. We are to be constantly filled with the Spirit. It's the Spirit that empowers us. We can't even understand the love of Christ apart from the Spirit of God. We can't even understand scripture apart from the spirit of God. I can't preach God's word to you apart from the spirit of God's spirit. Human effort will always, always burn out. Always. Because if you want to rely on that, you're always responsible for having to refuel that. And our resources are not infinite. Infinite. We will grow discouraged, we will get exhausted, we will grow tired, and we will ultimately become complacent because of the feeling of hopelessness that we get. Think about your own personal issues that you face. It's hard. We can only truly live the life that God has called us to live through the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's always only two options. Truly, there's always only two options for us you will either trust your own or the world's strength, wisdom, and resources, or you will depend on the power of God. It's it's either one of those. In God's economy, God can use whatever external resources by much or by little to do what he wants to do. That is irrelevant to God. God. But to us, we look at that and we determine everything ahead of time based upon the resources at hand. Great example, 5,000 plus people around Jesus, they're hungry, the disciples did the math, trying to prove to Jesus that they're responsible, logical students, hey Jesus, they've been with us all day, they got a long journey, it's hot, they're tired, we don't have any food to give them, We don't even have money to buy the food for them, so send them home. Jesus looks at them. You give them something to eat. I would have been like, you crazy. Like, with what? One resourceful disciple goes around looking, finds a little boy, right? Some fish, some pieces of bread. And God's like, I like that. How did that happen, by the way? Like imagine, like we're like walking around with a basket, and it's just like you got one little biscuit. But every time you break, it's like. like man, you know. We see things so differently, and a lot of times when we start to move spiritually, and we start to rely on God's power and His Spirit to see Him be faithful, it usually starts small. And we begin to disqualify that because we're like, what difference does this make? And oftentimes, what seems small is the most influential thing we could ever do. And that small thing, which is mighty in the eyes of God, is prayer. We downplay, pray, prayer all the time. We downplay, we say, what difference does it make? It's so small blah, blah, blah. I'm just talking to something up there. I don't know if God hears me. I don't understand. We downplay it. But prayer is like the greatest thing that God has given us. To learn to interact with our Heavenly Father, to connect with Him, but also the heart and the seat of prayer is the best place to learn how to be dependent upon the Lord, to surrender to the Lord, because when you're praying, you're actually confessing your powerlessness. I'm coming to you, God, because I can't. And you can. Jesus prayed all the time. And he taught his disciples how to pray without ceasing so that they wouldn't give up over and over and over. And this is the beautiful part when we look at this vision is that we don't have to somehow conjure up God's power. We don't have to like, okay, God, I'm going I'm to read harder, I'm going to pray harder, and I'm going to get your power. It has nothing to do with that. Like, We don't have to do anything because God's power is something that he sends down through the power of his Holy Spirit. He gives us an endless supply of himself to do exactly what he's calling us to do. The spirit is essential for the church to be the church. Have you ever thought about this? Like when when Jesus ascended to heaven and he gave the mission to the disciples saying, okay, now it's on you guys. And they were like, you would think, okay, three years they've been with Jesus. They went through catechism class, they've been confirmed, they got this down, they look good, they confess that sin, they know the message, they've seen the miracles, they're ready to go. Jesus was like, No. Sure, you know all of this, you've seen all this, but you're still not ready. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus is effectively saying to him, it's like, that's the only way you can be successful in ministry, it's the only way you can have influence, it's the only way you can testify about me in power. Wait for the Spirit to come and then you'll be my witnesses. And over and over and over in Acts, we see how instrumental the Holy Spirit was to the mission of God. We see the apostles over and over and over Praying and asking for God to pour out the Spirit, not just around them, but in them. You're like, I have the Holy Spirit, but God, I need more of the Holy Spirit. And anytime they talked about anointing or they were praying that God would anoint something, it wasn't so that they could have their own personal spiritual therapy session or that they could get the the Holy Goosebumps. You'd be like, oh, I feel good. This was a great service. No, the anointing always came in result to see the mission through. Always. That's significant. The Holy Spirit will always, when God said pray and ask for the Holy Spirit, the Father will always give it. He will give it when we pray according to his will, and his will is always going to be on mission. Always. That's why we can say that God's work done in God's way will never lack God's provision or his power. Not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Look at now how he concludes in verse seven. Oh, I love this verse. Who are you, O great mountain? That's, that's trash talking right there. That's looking at the mountains, the obstacles in your life, the threats that are coming upon you. Who are you, great mountain? And I love that the angel is saying this before Zerubbabel, before this leader, before this guy who has been complacent and discouraged and gave up for the last 16 years, before this guy, because he's going to understand that it's by my spirit, this mountain will become a plain, and he shall bring forward the topstone. In other words, that's the picture of it being complete. He will complete this project, and there will be shouts of grace There will be praise to God because through this man, God's going to get glory because he can't do it. We got 16 years to prove that he can't do it, but he's going to complete it because it's going to be by my spirit. And people will see and they'll be like, God was in the midst. Only God could do this. Friends, that's how we shine in this world. That's how you face the mountains in your life. Think about it for a moment. What obstacles are you facing right now that are taunting you, that are threatening you, that are intimidating you? Is it an addiction? I could never be a good Christian because I can't stop looking at pornography. Went there is it because like you like my marriage is so bad i don't know what to do da, da, da. it's like these obstacles become so large and so all consuming that they're like you can't pray god won't hear you this won't change that's a mountain taunting you but if we operate and address these mountains through the power of the holy spirit you can say to these obstacles you can say to these mountains who are you be gone like like i love that. It's like Anything is possible. If you have faith the size of a mushroom, you can say to this mountain, be removed. It's like this powerful image. Nothing can stand in the way of the almighty God. No amount of opposition. No amount of authority. Yeah, but I lack this. I don't have this. Resources don't matter. God can do anything with much or for little or even nothing because he can speak things into existence. So friends, where are your mountains right now in your life? As a church, we have obstacles. And as we move forward, we're going to face those obstacles even more and more and more. And as we come closer to the time when Christ returns, we're going to face pressure and persecution more and more and more for standing for Jesus Christ. Will we allow those mountains to intimidate us? They will if we're doing it by our own strength. But if we're doing it by the Spirit of God, we will not be threatened by them. God's spirit can conquer all of our greatest obstacles. All of them. And he will finish it. He will complete it. Zechariah 4, verse 8 and on. The word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands shall complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts sent me. In the final verses, all the way through verse 14, I encourage you to read this, it starts talking about the olive trees, and I don't have time to explain it, but the olive trees are basically Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest, which is this picture of saying God plans to use people, God plans to use people through the power of his Holy Spirit to be the force of good in this world. His mode of changing the world is going to be through people who are willing to surrender and submit to the Spirit of God. And that's what I want to talk about as we conclude. Because there's a verse here in verse 10 or verse 10, yes. In verse 10 it says, for whoever has despised the day of small beginnings shall rejoice. That is a warning Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Friends, do not despise praying. Because a lot of times that is what looks small. Don't despise it, don't despise confessing on your road to freedom. Don't despise taking small little steps and whatever it is. Don't despise that because you don't know what God is doing behind the scenes. You have no idea all that God is doing. Don't worry about the results. Your job as a believer of Jesus Christ and walking and living by the Holy Spirit is to learn to harness the wind of God. So I want to play with the word image here because the, the Hebrew word for spirit in the Old Testament is ruach, which is also wind, and in the Greek, it's pneuma, which is also wind. So think about this way, how do we live and how do we walk by the Spirit of God? I got a picture of a sailboat. And I want you to see this because this is the most strategic way of how we learn to walk by the Spirit of God, is you harness the wind, you prepare the sails, stop rowing. Sailboat that harnesses the wind will always go faster, will always go further than manual rowing all the time. And this is something you have to learn how to do. And even Nicodemus in John 3 couldn't understand. This is like those who are born again, you gotta be born again. And he's like, How do I do this? And they start talking about the spirit, and Jesus is like, listen, the spirit is like wind. Well, that's helpful. Yeah, you don't know where it comes from, and you don't know where it's going to take you. Like, we, we can't even see it. We can see its effect when it hits things, but that's the Spirit of God. That's the personality of the Holy Spirit. He works like that, and our job is to harness that wind, to raise the sails. And friends, I'm telling you, don't make this too complicated. The best way to raise the sails, to be ready to harness the wind, is through prayer, and I know, I got another image, is that this is what prayer life feels like for me so often. And some of you will get it, some of you won't. <laughs> this is what my prayer life feels sometimes. Hey God, I'm here. <laughs> Tommy boy, classic. And you could raise the sail, and you could be out there and be like, there's no wind. That's not your concern. The Holy Spirit will blow when the Holy Spirit decides to blow. He knows the perfect timing. He knows the perfect amount. He knows everything to that. Your job is to get the sail up and to wait to harness the wind of God. We will be successful as a church if we do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. You will learn how to walk by the Spirit of God and walk in freedom and liberty when you understand how to harness the wind, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't do it. It's so tempting even for me as a leader to be like, okay, we got this vision. How do we do this? I don't know what to do. Well, we only got this amount of people and this amount of resources. How do we do this? God's like, stop it. Be obedient. Raise the sail. Harness the winds. Be ready when I blow. So here's the challenge. If you are a follower of Jesus, this mission is your responsibility. It's your responsibility. You are salt, you are light, you are exhorted to go make disciples of all nations. So Austin Oaks Church, God is calling us as a church to shine brightly in this city. We have to be a church that learns to live by the word and by the spirit. We have to learn how to do God's work by his spirit because God is at work. So church, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to raise these sails and to pray fervently, which is one of our values. So what I want to do to conclude this time is I'm going to ask Dalton to come on up. Dalton, thank you so much for stepping in. He's got a sweet heart. This guy's got an amazing heart that says yes to the Lord. Love that God brought you to us, buddy. I want you in this time, as they sing a song about the Holy Spirit, to think about the mountains that you face in this life. Maybe areas like promises that you've made either to God or to other people that you have stopped because of some obstacle or opposition maybe you've made certain promises to the Lord that you have stopped or given up because certain things got in the way and now you've grown complacent on it Allow this time to be a time for the Spirit of God to to move in your heart and for you to confess whatever that obstacle is and come to the place and be like, you know what, God, you're right. Not by strength, it's not by my might, nor by my power because it does burn me out, but it's by your Spirit. God, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to raise the sail. Teach me how to be ready to harness your wind. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, that it is, it speaks right to the very core and epicenter of our being. Lord, I thank you that you love your church. And I thank you that you love us. My mind can't understand why you've entrusted this, this mission to us, but you did. So Father, I just pray that in this time as we conclude here, that you would speak to our hearts, you would do work, you would do healing, you would do convicting, you would do encouraging. God, I pray that you would give us the faith to respond to you. Lord, I ask that we would not leave unchanged, that we would all have something very clear from your spirit that you want us to move towards. So Lord, even now, what could feel like a small thing, praying and connecting to you in this moment, we won't despise it. We won't downplay it. Because you're the God who does much more. You're the God that's always at work. So have your way, Lord.